Hey, I'm JR. And I'm Mike from the 18 Over Par with Mike and JR podcast. Welcome to season three of the pod, where we'll continue exploring the sights, stories, and sounds of golf on the prairies, where you'll find some of the most golf courses per capita of anywhere in the world and beer. And Lots beer. of beer. Lots of beer, JR. It's the 18 Over Par Podcast with Mike and JR. You suck, you duckass. Welcome to 18 Over Par with Mike and JR, proudly presented by Bryce Malashewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. I'm JR, he's Mike, and today we're joined by amateur golf historian and CPGA Director of Golf and Head Golf Professional at Whitewater Golf Club in Thunder Bay, Matt Simmons. He also sits on the board of Golf Manitoba and the PGA of Manitoba. Interesting story how we got this gentleman on. We were chatting with James Chapman, who we had on earlier this season, who is a general manager of Glendale, which I got to play. Played with Team Lefty member Blair Mooney. Went out there on Sunday evening, I think it was. Yeah. And it was fun. Course is tight. Course is green. The greens are rolling well. But when we are interviewing James Chapman, he mentioned you, Matt, and then Mike brought up, well, do they have internet in Thunder Bay? Got quite the good laugh. And then we got a nasty DM on Instagram. No, I'm kidding. It was all in good fun. But uh, we are on Zoom. The internet appears to be working. And yes, we can confirm. And you can probably confirm for us too, Matt. You do have internet in Thunder Bay. I do have internet. Uh, T-Bay Tal does a wonderful job here. Though... Uh, this afternoon, it was giving me a little bit of issues. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, after all that's been said, <laughs> it cannot go down today. <laughs> well, you certainly have uh, an incredible history, which we're going to get into. And James said you're one of the one of the guys who we have to chat with. He gave us a bunch of names, uh, including Deb Pritchard who is the executive director of the PGA of Manitoba, which I believe is the board that you sit on, Matt. Yes, uh, one of the boards I sit on. The uh, she is absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And you yeah. have to say that we know, just like we have to say this about our good friend and golfing buddy. Although we haven't got the chance to uh, play with him this year, that is Bryce Matlashewski. He is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at two zero four five one five three four four six. We have all of his info in our link tree. Just go to our social medias, click on our bios, and our link tree will be there. You can see Bryce's smiling face. And we're also going to put maybe something up there so you can connect with Matt Simmons or check out the golf club because Mike and I, actually, I can only speak for myself. I have not played in Thunder Bay. I have only passed through Thunder Bay, and that was just driving out to the East Coast. So that's my history wow. of Thunder Bay. That's it. So, Mike, mm -hmm. how about yourself? Yeah, I don't know if I've actually ever been in the uh, lovely city of Thunder Bay. 
Uh, I, I maybe one time if I was going to International Falls, I, would I pass through Thunder no. Bay? No, no. Well, then I don't think uh, I don't think I've had the pleasure of being in Thunder Bay. I've had I've heard a lot of good things, and uh, look forward to hearing a lot more about it today. No, it, it is an absolute beautiful city. It's uh, uh, I don't know whether everyone really appreciates, even those that live here, how beautiful it is. I, I know when I moved up here, hearing from uh, many different individuals apologizing about, and it's like, you have nothing to apologize for. This is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Nature's on our doorstep, which we're in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> it's on the doorstep in every direction. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like from the pictures, and you are now the director of golf, I believe it is, is at Whitewater? Yeah, director of golf, head golf professional at Whitewater. It is an incredible golf course, a Thomas McBroom design. Oh, okay. and it's, uh, Yeah, so it's if you've played Southwood, I'm sure some of those uh, similarities would be here, other than the fact that we're carved through forest and we have a pretty major river uh, running alongside of it. Well, let's maybe go back then, and we don't want to date you, but we always start this, uh, <laughs> start off everything with this, but just how you got into the game of golf. Was it a parent? Was it a grandparent? Was it friends? Uh, it, it was a long time ago. It's, uh, I grew up, I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario. My parents got into the game. I have three sisters and had a foster brother. Uh, none of them got into it. I, it was a fabulous thing. I, I think probably grade four that I started playing. I remember, uh, even at that age going out, I think my dad got goaded into playing, uh, his company golf tournament he dragged me along to to caddy for him, but I got hooked. It's uh, the three of us joined a little nine hole golf course just outside of Sudbury, uh, Chelmsford. It's eighteen now, but it was fabulous place to uh, to learn the game. It was uh, even though it was tree lined on the outside of the golf course, uh, you can hit it a little wild, which you know develops a nice big flowing powerful swing it's uh with uh the persimmon clubs and blades that i grew up with it's uh, uh it was it was a great childhood we lived actually 11 miles away from the golf course uh, so once i got of decent age so about 13 years of age i started biking to the golf course uh first thing in the morning and i would stay out there and typically uh play 36 uh, to 45 holes uh, throughout the day intermixed with finding golf balls in the woods uh turning them in for mars bars and cokes uh, <laughs> and and soup in the clubhouse and then uh, my dad would come out after dinner uh, we would play yet another nine and throw the bike on the back of the car and uh, do it all again the next day. That's, that is uh, a hefty bike ride. And if you're walking the course too, you must have legs like tree trunks. Well, that was many a year ago. <laughs> 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 I, I have had to adjust my swing since I, I certainly it was uh, powered by my lower body when I was young. And now um, I, I need all of my body to uh, to power it up. So did you play in any competitions as a junior in and around the area or just uh, kind of locally in, in around Sudbury? 
there there were very, very few golf tournaments available. We didn't have a whole heck of a lot of money uh, growing up, though I wouldn't have known that. Uh, but going away to the provincials and stuff was uh, was difficult. But uh, always played in the club championship. Pot of gold lottery used to put on, I believe it's them, used to put on a junior tournament for us. Um, and every kid got a... Uh, lottery ticket as a as a tea gift uh, back <laughs> a little different times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, there was there were a couple of uh, small events that I uh, of course did well in. I I always uh, was a decent golfer when I was when I was young. Won always my age groups and the club championships and and the like. But realized really young that the tour professional is a league uh, way beyond where my skill level was. Through conversations with my father, he was the one that actually did the research and calling people and getting me my my first big job in the business, which um, uh, was at St. George's in Toronto. Not a, wow. a bad little place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I was, uh, that was my first job, backshop manager at uh, at St. George's. Absolutely gorgeous golf course. Uh, it still is uh, a pinnacle for me. But it's, uh, I remember going down there for the first time, growing up on a nine hole country style golf course and and uh, with a small little clubhouse and every year it's it sort of, you could see the gapping starting to like the clubhouse was uh, was starting to come apart and and uh, to drive down into Toronto and come upon this castle of a clubhouse it uh, it was it was really quite quite impressive and the conditions. I'll, I'll tell you a cute little story about the conditions of of there. Back at that time, on the first tee, uh, they had a cup cut into the tee deck so that you can hit a couple of warm-up putts while you're waiting for the group in front to clear. And my father came down to uh, to play with me, and uh, he's he's on the first tee, and he's hitting these putts on the first tee, and he says, Matt, Look at the greens here. <laughs> I said, Dad, this is the first date. <laughs> Wait till we get to the green. <laughs> Uh, it was a great experience and it taught me a lot about the service levels in in the game and what what to achieve what you can achieve and what people at the highest level really really want but it's uh before i moved down i was dating a girl and and uh before you know it we got married that summer so 19 years of age i'm married uh within a couple of years i had two kids um, but because of that marriage, we moved back to Sudbury. I, I did my, uh, really started my apprenticeship at, uh, at Lively in uh, just outside Sudbury. And that was a great place in learning. Like, uh, I learned everything about repairing clubs and back then repairing was okay. Well, you need to uh, refile the face of the persimmon, uh, recut the scoring grooves, uh, uh, refinish, dip. I, I've done 
literally thousands of rewhips over the over the years um a thing that is not done anymore and it's a lost start but that was great i stayed there for a year before getting um getting uh on at uh the private club in in that area which was idlewild uh worked there until my boss retired which um absolutely beautiful beautiful golf course right in the heart of of Sudbury sitting between a couple of lakes um it was a great place to uh uh to do my apprenticeship and the like and from there went down to London Ontario once he retired and worked at Highland which is uh worked for Mike Silver down there the pros pro is what they called Mike Silver he's uh, a master golf professional and and uh I would be surprised if if there is a single golf professional uh head professional that has put out more head professionals uh into the field that's why they call him the pros pro it's um and uh worked there for uh nine yeah nine nine years holy geez and then uh went uh went from there to uh riverbend golf community pretty cool place the riverbend is a, a private gated golf community for a 55 year and over empty nester we had people moving in from all over the country and literally from all over the world uh, into into the community. I remember uh, to give you an idea of the international part of it, we had one family uh, move in, an adult uh, daughter moved in for the summertime, uh, and she um, she was out golfing at, from Denmark. She carries this large snapping turtle into the pro shop. What? And it's like with a big smile on her face. It's like it's uh she says, I found someone's pet. It's like <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's like well we might want to return that back there and don't go near the head but it's, uh, but it was uh that was a pretty cool place whereabouts is that well river bend golf community is right across the river from the london hunt club uh so on the on just on the uh, west side of of london we actually sat up on a hill, so it's even though uh, the Hunt Club is the like there's many privates. London is similar to uh, Winnipeg that way, and great uh, variety of golf courses, uh, fabulous city. But we uh, London Hunt was is the pinnacle of of golf in that area, and we looked down on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, literally, we were up on the hill and we were looking down. It was uh, uh, a great, uh, great golf course in in there. Different experience. No junior program, no anything like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, people uh, of that age, they're kind of like juniors, anyways, right? Like when you kind of get to the when you're first born, and then you're kind of to the tail end of it, right? They're all kind of the same. Yeah. Well. Especially when you you're fresh in in being an empty nester, you don't have right, to worry yeah. about it. Your responsibilities are 
are out the window. Who cares? It's uh, uh, I know that, um, and certainly just jokingly, anytime, and it was probably on a daily basis that I would tour uh, prospective uh, residents around the golf course and explain the golf course and how the housing fits into it and um, uh, any concerns that they'd have, but just you know, and market the place. Um, and every once in a while you run into a member and they'd welcome, uh, like you'd love it. The only issue with moving into River Bend is that, uh, before you, you sign on and, uh, you might want to put your name on a list for a liver transplant. Because <laughs> 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 it's a lot of drinking you know, and a lot of socializing. So it's, um, it, it was just like you said so uh they're big kids well i was gonna say is there a riverbend community for maybe a uh a 30 to 45 intermediate uh, members is there an intermediate <laughs> <laughs> you want the kids involved or are, are we selling the kids before we move in? <laughs> that's a, a, a boarding school or something <laughs> Uh, yeah sorry jr i was going to mention mike you might uh, attest to the fact that yeah back in the day that was the assiniboine golf club requirement (laughs) i think think so yeah (laughs) yeah your membership was a thousand bucks and your food assessment was a thousand bucks but it wasn't just food it was for the booze (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah well, uh, the prices were a little bit different down there. We, um, of course, uh, the uh, um, and again, it wasn't the highest end place. But uh, by the time I left River Bend, uh, the initiation there was twenty eight thousand um, uh, to wow. to get in. That's uh, and a new liver. And, we, and a new liver. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and the biggest. The and this was really cool. The biggest uh, uh, item that I sold in the shop and we always tended to have one parked either in the in the pro shop or in the clubhouse was uh, a golf cart so yeah uh, everyone everyone owned their own golf cart so and then of course all the accessories that went along with it it's uh, uh, some had the hard enclosures and the air conditioning and all the all the other stuff it's uh Golfers are a little tougher here in Thunder Bay. I uh, I came, I moved up here and I came with uh, just a soft enclosure for the golf cart and a little propane heater that fit into the cup holder. It's absolutely ideal. I'm like, why not be comfortable when it's miserable out and you can still play? I was called a wimp again and again. It's like, that's not golf. <laughs> like you got to experience the weather while you're out here but it's um well without a doubt i remember in throwing it back to a cinema golf club dale sapenko the uh, head professional there for years and years who i worked under same thing he had a little velcro thing around his carts and you know he can because he would go out there when he wanted to golf he just wanted to golf didn't really matter the weather but i think he used either tequila or red wine to keep him warm as opposed to a propane (laughs) heater but uh regardless yeah you don't I don't know if I've, since leaving Assiniboine, I don't think I've ever seen an enclosed golf cart on any golf course that I've been playing on. And I've been, I've played in some pretty gnarly weather. (laughs) Uh, In the fall, I don't go anywhere without a soft, soft enclosure. (laughs) And I 
still have, and I've upgraded, but I still have my my heater. Uh, so it's, uh, but that's uh, you got to do it in style if you're going to do it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right, we'll t- we'll give you a tip of the cap for that one. We'll let that yeah. one. We'll let that one pass. But f- yeah. for you, then, was there a specific time where you knew you wanted to become a professional? Was your dad was it that first job? Like, did you have to do a player ability test, or when was that kind of tipping point for you? Yeah, it's um, uh, definitely, and it was a little tougher uh, back then. It was a 36-hole playing ability test one day, uh, mind you, and the number was a little tighter. Uh, they've opened it up a little bit uh, now and made it just 18, but we um, we had a playing ability test to become uh, an assistant and uh, then a second one um, to become a class A professional. So it's uh, with the class A, I just um, even nowadays you could uh, uh, if you show a certain number in a in a, in a qualified uh, event championship that uh, you're able to pass through. And, and that's that's how I uh, got through from a class A standpoint. So. So you're a pretty good golfer. I, a decent. It's, uh, I, I always, uh, I always think, and this is how I was taught is you don't have to be the best golfer at the club. And, and, uh, um, you just have to give the best golfer a little bit of a game. And when it comes down to it, and I know it's the same two words, but I am a golf professional. I am not a professional golfer. That is, <laughs> that, is that is definitely I. I'd be uh, a skinnier man uh, and uh, living in a, a much smaller home if I had to play for my living. So, <laughs> we take a quick break to hear from Bryce Matlashewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Well, Bryce, it's uh, it's great to. Uh, to have you on and to have a quick chat. My first question is uh, what can an investment advisor like yourself from Endeavor Wealth uh, do for me? And how can that differ from my, my current experience of trading with Wealthsimple uh, just based on my, the recent Twitter feeds? <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for having me on you guys. Yeah. D- discount brokers like Wealthsimple uh, certainly have their place. Uh, but at the end of the day, you get what you're, you pay for uh, those platforms are very limited in what they offer and they're more ideal for just basic trading. So if that's what you're looking to do, and it, it's really not a bad platform for that, but what we do at Endeavor, uh, we take a more holistic approach. Uh, we examine an individual's needs, uh, both short-term and long-term, and we go way beyond just investments. We look for tax opportunities, ensuring the decisions you are making today uh, minimize your overall tax that you might be paying. Uh, we also help our clients address estate and insurance needs. So really anything we can do to uh, assist in your overall wealth management approach. And going back to some of those discount brokers and, and, and things that you see on the internet, uh, a lot of times people don't realize the amount of intrinsic risk that they're taking on with with making some of those trades and so finding balance is is another key thing that we do for our clients at at endeavor that was bryce malashewski who is an investment advisor with endeavor wealth management part of ia private wealth and a member of the canadian investor protection fund you can contact bryce at 204-515-3446 
Well, what ended up being the impetus of going to Whitewater? Because it would have been Riverbend, then going to Whitewater? Yeah, so really when it came down to it, at that particular time, uh, I split with my first wife. And it was, I was looking for an opportunity to uh, to move. The kids were uh, were already adults at that point. And even, uh, but uh, no, I just, I was looking for a change and it was a good change in many different ways. So. Well, we have to give a nod to Northwest Ontario and the golf out there. And Mike, maybe if you want to touch on, he was out there. He didn't get all the way to Thunder Bay, as we previously mentioned. Uh, we've kind of just passed through there, or at least I have, and Mike did not. But playing the Harambe, you ended out in ended up in Kenora and Beauty Bay, correct? That's correct. We had the eighth annual uh, Harambe Memorial Golf Invitational, and uh, this year we decided to go east from Winnipeg, uh, but to Northwest Ontario. Uh, we started at Falcon Lake, and then we went to Beauty Bay and Kenora. And uh, oh, yeah. Nice. And so Beauty Bay and Kenora are, I think, my first two uh, courses from the Northwest Ontario kind of area of the Gulf Manitoba umbrella. As I know, the uh, you guys are part of Gulf Manitoba. So it was unbelievable. Uh, I won't get too much into it. Congratulations to uh, King Eric. He won it again. And uh, Johnny Scoops Hillary came in second. And... Uh, I came in third this year, so he's taken my my uh, my second spot, my my bride my bridesmaid spot. Well, we have so to give a shout out to there... because uh, John he's been working with or did work with Colwyn Abgrall, so another CPJ professional, and see what happens when you work with a pro, Mike, <laughs> for a consistent <laughs> amount of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I, I was going to ask Mike, was this event three people deep or? <laughs> That's uh that is uh that's a great question. Um <laughs> it was not it was not uh it was only two people, but I'm just kidding. But uh there was nine guys. It's a stroke play event. Uh Falcon Lake there on um, whatever Thursday. It was raining as cats and dogs. Uh met Rob Hollins out there. He uh oh. got chatting with him during the rain delay and even managed to get a quick uh, free 15-minute tip uh, on some swing stuff with him. And, uh, you know, talked to him. Um, was it Dave Turner was the super out there. He was making sure that all the greens were dry enough before we got out there. But had a blast at uh, Falcon. It was in pristine condition as usual. I, I look forward to someday playing that golf course. Of course, I drive by it on my way to Winnipeg, but uh, yeah, and it it teases you from the highway there, yes. I'm sure. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Beauty Bay and Kenora were, I, I don't want to say similar, but also lots of elevation changes that we don't get to see in Winnipeg. Uh, unbelievable. Greens were slanted every which way. Uh, uphill, downhill, uh, it was just great courses out there. I, I'm always amazed at traveling down the highway, how much, um, the, uh, terrain changes once, once I hit the Manitoba border. But, uh, <laughs> it oh, is, yeah. uh, I was watching it on the way home and I was like, wow, you can, you can literally see where, 
I would call it, yeah, I guess the Canadian shield just ends and then, oh, there's the Manitoba border pretty much. And uh, (laughs) that's when I fell asleep. It's awesome driving your highways, though. Just go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Cruise control and go. Well, that's the other thing. You cross the border and you can notice immediately, oh, that's the Manitoba highway because it's bumpy as heck. Shout but, out to the Manitoba uh, Heavy Construction Association. I know they're trying to fix these things, but they need more money from the government. Remember to vote. <laughs> Remember to vote, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fix those highways so we can golf. So that was my uh, my taste of Northwest Ontario. It was. I'll have to go a little bit deeper next time. Well, of course, Kenora is the the club that they're celebrating right now with Golf Manitoba. Uh, it's, uh, showing it off a little bit. It, I, it, it's nice. It's, I, I look forward to playing it someday, but it's tough to get away from my club sometimes. So, yes, though I am going to Winnipeg next month, uh, James, uh, and Derek invited me to go play in the pro-am. So I'm, I'm heading to Glendale. So Ooh, wonderful. Well, very nice. You will notice there's not a whole hell of a lot of elevation changes, but, uh, regardless, oh, Bring yeah, your, bring your labor and bring your driving <laughs> iron because it is tight. <laughs> oh, I played it a few times. It's uh, I enjoy that course. Uh, it's, uh, but as for drinking, I don't think I drank on a golf course until I moved up to Thunder Bay. And I, I, I <laughs> hey, that's okay. <laughs> I don't think I was in Thunder Bay more than thirty seconds before being handed my first brandy. Now, now it's just a thing to do up here. Well, what is yeah. that? What is that over your left shoulder there? So again, we're on Zoom. So I know while you're listening to this, you can't see it. But yeah, what is that? Because you got yeah. some cups. No, no. So you got there's oh. a, it looks like trophy and. Oh, I just uh, like honest. Uh, my wife, uh, when when we built this house, uh, she said it's going to be our den, and it's like with a smirk on my face, I knew it was going to be <laughs> filled with my golf stuff. Uh, but uh, no, there's uh, tons of tons of little things that I've, I've picked up over the years. And I think I have, uh, north of 150 golf books of, of different sorts and reproduction, uh, antique golf balls. And, uh, I do have antique equipment. I do have, um, the real stuff, but I love having the, um, I just got, uh, got a club from someone in Winnipeg, actually, Kelly Leonard, uh, he, um, he makes equipment right there. That is, uh, 1800s reproduction. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I hit it the other day, actually. That's, uh. Well, why don't we get into that then? Because that was a video that was going around. I believe PJ of Manitoba even shared it. Yes. About you. So was, was that what you were hitting? Yeah. So uh, when in in buying the equipment initially, and I don't buy equipment. <laughs> so but, <laughs> it's been a while since I bought a club. But it's uh, but uh, this is uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, about circa 1830s, it's a long nose, John Jacobs, I think it is, and it's a, sh a short spoon. So it has about 25 degrees aloft. It's a wooden head. It's a, a concave face, of course, hickory shaft. In purchasing the equipment, he wanted to know what I'm going to be hitting with this uh, uh, because they're very specific. Uh, and at that point in time, uh, certainly, 1830s, it was uh, feathery golf balls. Um, and I, uh, and that transitioned into a gutta persia. Well, I have both reproductions, gutta persia and, and feathery, and that's what I hit the other day. It's like, I wanted to not only have the club, I, I didn't want the club just to sit there, even though it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a piece of art. Uh, but I, I've read tons of history of golf. I wanted to know what it was all about. And uh, I know you guys were bugging me. Did I uh, did I try it yet? And it's like, well, the first step is to look at it, you know, just look at it and, and build up into it. And it's like, OK, well, then uh, I went uh, I went out into my golf space. Um, I don't have near the space that Darren has. He has the, the dream space. But I have uh, I took over my two and a half car garage into a golf studio and and 13 foot ceilings and, and so I went out there and I uh, chipped a few with uh, with uh, the balls uh, so it's like okay that's not bad I, I came in looked at it again put it put it aside and then it's like ah okay next day I'm gonna hit a, a, a full swing and I built up into what you would have seen on Instagram into the fuller swing spectacular uh i couldn't believe how well that shaft, like the shaft the head responded it's uh i know i have a smoothish swing and that's probably uh a result of growing up with uh persimmon clubs uh instead of just wailing away at titanium but uh it performed well i felt the head uh match up to the ball really nicely uh the Feathery, I hit first, and it has a soft, um, almost a foam-like feel of of the ball with a firmness on the outside. And sorry, what is a feathery? I think I can you explain it for some of our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. So a feathery, uh, even though they say golf actually originated with a wooden ball, likely, and it was a much shorter game. It transitioned into a feathery, which is a leather. Uh, outer and they take out uh, well the word was you'd take a top hat full of goose feathers you would uh, basically uh, boil that down a little bit and you would have these workmen just craftsmen stuffing like this little leather ball with these goose feathers uh, and uh, even to a point where right at the very end you can imagine how much they were stuffing in and that pressure that was on them they would wear a contraption on their chest and just push uh, with their whole of their body getting that last little bit of uh, feathers into the ball stitch it up uh, let it dry um, and uh, and once it uh, once it fully set, then they would uh, uh, do a paint on on the outside of that ball. The uh, back at that time, golf was even though it was existing, and it it it's golf has existed. Actually, they outlawed golf before Columbus 
discovered America. So it's uh, it, it, because it was taken away from archery mm-hmm. practice and the like. And and Catherine of Aragon played golf. Uh, Mary Queen of Scot played golf. Her son, um, uh, who who actually took over the throne, played golf and brought it to England. But uh, they so that feathery now uh, cost almost as much as a golf club because as as much man hours went into mm-hmm. uh, into making that. So it wasn't terribly popular until Gutta Persia came along. What is Gutta Persia? Well, they used it in the industrial age back in uh, mid 1800s. The uh, the first person that decided to make a golf ball out of it actually it was it was stuff that was protecting a statue in in a box uh, that was shipped. Uh, so they like pulled it out. Peanuts. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually they use got a person in the dental industry now. So it's like, and that's, that's where they get this, uh, this material to, to make uh, reproduction golf balls. So they, uh, they, originally they just heated it up and, and rolled it into a ball. It didn't go anywhere. They liked the idea of it, but it hit it and it just dive out of the air. And, and uh, it wasn't until they, they just kept playing around with it and it, there was enough scarring on that ball that uh, all of a sudden uh, it could get some wind resistance. And that's, that's the, uh, the, the start of dimpling or scoring a golf ball to, to get things going. So it, it was pretty cool. Uh, the in hitting both of them i personally i look at it as that that feathery came off and it was incredible that feel that softness but it was came off in a thud and uh, then i put the gutta persia down and it's just like a smack and it's the the players that went to the gutta persia probably thought that they hit the ball a lot further it's uh uh it just made so much more noise it's uh it reminded me, um, because I'm that old, if you were using the same ball and you hit a persimmon club, it just makes a thwack. It's like there's very little noise. And if you put that same ball with the titanium, it's like wham. <laughs> it's, so it just, even if it didn't go any further, it certainly uh, sounds like, and you're impressing everyone by, by the sound. Did you did you get any uh, data on these swings? Did you put it on put it on the trackman or anything? I I will get that. Uh, my first experience was not actually to get a performance out of the ball, uh, e- even though I'm terribly interested to see that. And uh, I think I'll probably have to get a few more golf balls from the uh, manufacturer to to try this. I want to get it out on the golf course and and, and try it. But it's uh, uh, my first experience was just wanted to feel it. I wanted to hear it. I, uh, it's ex- Experiencing history a little bit. It's, it's right. Cool. I guess you got to be careful not to break it either. I, I don't know how durable they are. Well, the that's really why all the clubs back then were wooden heads. The only metal club, and it would have been made by a blacksmith, was what would have been called a rut iron, and that is a club that uh, that barely larger uh, than the golf ball itself. And it was to play a ball out of a wheel rut. <laughs> mm-hmm. They look like a spoon. 
Yeah, uh, the same size as a dinner spoon too. I looked this up the other day. I don't know why. I think I I got into a rabbit hole after uh, looking up uh, <laughs> seeing your video there. But anyways, oh, uh, it's it, pretty cool. Yeah, a neat little rule when it came to the gutta persia, because in at that time they were prone to break. They'd break apart in pieces uh, as you as you hit it. Uh, and and caddies would collect those pieces, remelt them, and whatever. But the rule, <laughs> the actual the rule, caddies. any any anything to make a buck, I guess, and yeah. keep it going. But it's uh, the rule back then was that uh, if your ball broke, you would play the largest piece, the rest <laughs> of the hole. That's awesome. You could, you could change it after. <laughs> But you'd have to play the largest piece into the Wow. Yeah, well, my Kirklands are always breaking apart. Haven't tried to uh, melt them down yet, but uh, I'll have to try yeah, Good luck with that one. Well, it is fun, funny you mentioned that because I was playing a golf ball in my match at Southwood, Thomas McBroom course, and I was... Oh, I remember talking... Was it Stu Bannantine who mentioned that the reps were saying... It's maybe about 75 to 100 driver hits before it cracks on the inside or something like that. Well, I thought I hit a bird because this thing split in two and it just made the weirdest sound. So I was on the 13th tee, I think it was, and I was playing a match. We didn't know what the rule was. So we did some call and did some text and and everyone confirmed, you know, it's canceled shot. Play it again. But it (laughs) threw us for a loop because it was honestly, it was like, what the fuck just happened? I thought I killed a bird because there was two things going one way. Could not find either piece because I wanted to see what this this ball looked like blown Mm -hmm. up. But uh, I guess it's all that training I've been putting in with Prozac there, getting a little bit too strong for the golf ball to handle it. But uh, I do like the fact that they used to measure in top hats. So maybe now if they're making balls, they can measure in 18 over par hats. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, 18 over par uh branded pop hat that, that would be Ooh. <laughs> I, like <it. laughs> I got a i got a beaver pelt guy <laughs> well that that is incredible i knew nothing about the like the original golf balls and what they did so that was very very enlightening yeah so, thank you for that and, and for me I, I want to experience all the different levels right now. Of course, most of us play a modern game, but there, uh, there are many of us, uh, and myself included that experiment, uh, with the clubs I grew up with. Uh, so retro golf equipment, and there's, a there's a big industry in, in, uh, finding this old stuff and, and refurbishing it and bringing it up to some today's standards and using it out on the golf course. There is like we were just talking about, uh, you know, um, uh, going back to the feathery and the gutta persia. And, uh, of course, there's a hickory golf, which is uh, more um, in between the two. And it, it was played with probably, even though people wouldn't know this, the uh, golf ball that everybody thought was going to ruin the game. <laughs> And that was the Brambley because it it made the game too easy. It went way too far. It's like, <laughs> well, you can see this before. The, the History game repeats is, itself. Yeah, the game is still alive and well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, so Mike, you had some clubs there too. Where where are those from? Where did you get those? I I've just acquired them over the years, and uh, I always thought they were bamboo shafts, but. Uh, Maybe they are hickory shafts. Oh, that definitely looks hickory. 
Yeah, yeah that that is really cool. So I, we got a. This is a putter, a putter ten, lone eagle, chromium plated, is what it says. Obviously, yeah. we're not on video here, but I would love, absolutely love to play hickory golf. The biggest issue for me would be that I need someone to build me a uh, the long putter in hickory because I use a broomstick. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> use small putter. So, <laughs> well, they're not playing then. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tall ask. That is a tall ask. Yes. Yeah. I got this um, uh, mashy. It says mashy. Oh, and that's it, cool. And that's like a an iron, I guess they used to call Yay. them mashies, kind of. The um, every club had a name instead of a number, and so it's uh, and uh, back back a time. Uh, you would just grab a club here and a, a club there. It's I know Bobby Jones, who everyone knows, uh, his his full set. He he put together one club at a time and uh, uh, went purely by feel and the look of the club. And uh, in the end, uh, after he was dead and gone, they measured the clubs and everything. It was perfect. They were perfect. They were they were absolutely meant for one another. But. I got this driver too that needs looks like it needs oh, you, to be yeah. re-whipped. I I can do that for you. <laughs> I'll uh I'll well actually when you're in town next uh next month oh, or whatever, you can bring your re-whipping set. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll bring the correct stuff and we'll we'll get that done. Quickly, quickly on the balls there, and I'm pretty sure it was just like a documentary, maybe on old Tom Morris, but he was at uh St. Andrews there. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. And he was making like hundreds of these featheries a day. And he was the best feathery maker. Like he would make like 500 a day or something crazy like that. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or if you've heard that too. Yeah. Well, like 500 if you have enough <laughs> people, I guess. But uh, I think the best, the best out there uh, could make uh, eight to 10 in a, in a day. The, okay. um, the, I, um, I was a little off. He, he, when he was first at St. Andrews, he was, uh, when he was making the featheries, he was working for, um, really the first great, which was Alan Robertson. And, uh, he was a big feathery maker and any, as soon as the gutta Persia came in, uh, he would, uh, he would send all his staff and the caddies and whatever to find every gutta Persia and throw them in the garbage because it was taken away his livelihood that he was known as the best feathery maker. And he had individuals like old Tom working for him, making these, making these featheries. Well, that was, uh, that was the first big breakup in golf because, uh, old Tom was out playing with some members and halfway through, uh, one of them handed him a gutta Persia and he played the rest of the round in gutta Persia and, uh, Alan Robertson found out and fired him on the spot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty cool. And I, I, as we were talking about this, I looked up Kay Leonard hickory golf. So Check out klhickory.com and uh, they got some some clubs there and some pretty interesting stuff. But oh, I think it's cool that you have someone right there in Winnipeg doing this. It's, yeah, yeah. Be quickly, you mentioned some of the other formats that you uh, that you are playing that maybe some of us are not playing. 
Well, the and so bringing out um, bringing out the old hickory or the old persimmons are great. Many of us have uh, persimmons kicking around uh, in the basement and the like. Sometimes you're lucky enough to even find them in a secondhand store and and and, and the like. Uh, getting those out, and there are individuals still out there like me that uh, that can fix those things up um and and play i a few years ago we we did a 80s uh nine and dine uh couples night uh and we called it when woods were woods uh and everyone that had woods uh were were to come out and and play with them and um there's out of Everything that is uh, like the game has been pushed forward so much in the last few decades, but there is one thing that is massively missing in it, and that is hitting uh, a perfect drive with a persimmon club. There is that is a feel like uh, that like no other. Uh, and it is lost from the game at this point in time. And I think that's why many of us that have experienced them in the past, and we're getting some younger people doing it as well, that are are trying some of the hickory or, or uh, the persimmon to, uh, to to discover how how we how we played. There's there's no question that the new stuff and the science that's going into it and the AI. Uh, I know I play Callaway equipment and everything is is AI. Uh, but it's uh, and it's it's fabulous. But there there is also something so special to using the clubs of of the past, and uh, and in, and there's something to be said that uh, though we might not have played quite as well, uh, we still uh, enjoyed the game as as much. It was just a little bit shorter game. That's all. I can tell you, I was when I was young, I was one of the longest hitters with persimmon and i hit the ball a lot further now with my titanium and i'm nowhere near the, the longest and even close to being the longest at my club that's uh that's that's how it's changed but, as long as you yeah. can roll in a few putts that's all that matters yeah that's why i'm on to the long putter <laughs> <laughs> well it is funny you bring up the the persimmon and that's funny enough how i Partially how I figured out how to hit a draw. So this was way back when, when I was a junior. And a shout out to Paul Ryan, who he's mentioned a few times on this podcast. He lives on the East Coast now, but he's a great member at Assiniboine. He kind of took me under his wing for a little bit and showed me how to do it. And then I picked up this old wood in the Lost and Found. Funny enough, took it out to Falcon Lake. And next thing you know, I was hitting draws with it. Like the first hole, dog leg left. I just smacked the shit out of the thing, and I was like right by the greenside bunker, like right in front of him, like, holy shit, this thing works. Yes. And then kind of stick handled around a bit. But uh, regardless, yeah, I, I love the weight of them. Nothing really compares to having one of those. I still have one in my garage and just going out and swinging. It's almost like a swing trainer yeah. now. No, it's pretty cool. But I I remember my wife looked. Uh, we were on the seventh hole, and I uh, uh, it was a par five. And I reached both par fives and two with my persimmons, which which says a lot to uh, to to the clubs. I I zipped up to the tee. I hit my shot, walked back, and she says, "Aren't you going to hit?" And it's like, "Well, I already hit." And it's it's the sound difference. You're you're expecting that that big sound, and it's just uh, 
No, it, they're, uh, I, I know when we were younger and it was a common saying uh, with, with persimmon, but you, you hit it right on the screws, true screws on the club, uh, uh, right on the screws, it, uh, right out of the sweet spot. It was the perfect drive. The saying was that it was better than sex. It's just that special of feel. It was, it, it didn't happen often. <laughs> <laughs> Still doesn't. No. <laughs> Have you ever hit one, Mike? Have you ever hit a persimmon wood or anything like that? I'm actually looking up, this is kind of silly, but what is a persimmon driver right now? Now, obviously I have, I have one yeah. here. Yeah, that's persimmon. Well, yes, that, that would be made out of the persimmon wood. Yeah. Some of them have that kind of plasticky face on them. Is that still a persimmon the, wood? Yeah. So the, uh, the persimmons came with an insert. Uh, the originals one uh, ones did not. I, um, they would have had like a steel or a metal. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that that would be an original. That that's quite nice. It just the grooves cut right into the face. So that is uh, like the wood the grooves cut into the wood right on the face. No right screws on, the on there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, then they they came out with um, basically an epoxy insert uh, that uh, that protected the wood. Um, the uh, it was often found mostly found with. Uh, four to six screws in the face to, to hold that securely in place. Uh, some actually uh, experimented, and this uh, was some of the forerunners to the modern equipment is uh, they'd have uh, aluminum in the, as the insert in the face. So I was at a, a, like a scramble golf tournament once and on one of the holes, you, you use like a persimmon driver and you had to, you know, you use the best, hit from from that and i yeah that's probably the only time and i think it, i had some success with it once and then uh i was like oh i'm gonna try this again and then yeah you know couldn't uh that was just so a once in a lifetime kind of hit i think and now the way that i'm hitting my 600 cc driver there's no way i could hit uh a persimmon that uh, honestly is the be biggest change in the game is is the fact that uh, as great as it was to hit a great shot with the persimmon driver, uh, it was arguably the most difficult club in your bag to uh, to hit properly. And those that were great drivers of the ball were uh, really separated themselves. Where uh, now. Again, arguably, uh, the driver could be the easiest club in the in, in the bag to to hit. It has the biggest sweet spot. Well, don't tell Mike and I that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I, I know many a good PGA professional in in Winnipeg area that can help you out. <laughs> <laughs> We've been chatting to him. No, we we joke. We're we're figuring it out. We're getting better, but it is interesting too even i think you brought it up about how there's these different styles of golf and there's people still actively doing it actively playing oh they they want they want that specialness of uh of of the game yeah it's uh there's to me um like my my ultimate round would be 
just even playing by myself uh, in Scotland somewhere and just, you know, a half a dozen clubs in my bag and just ideally even a little mist coming off the sea or something. And it's just uh, just experiencing the uh, the magic of the game. There's there's a connection to uh, to nature. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty special. And and you get that. I think there's a closer connection to that with some of the older equipment, um, uh, even. Well, you must have some some great experience with new equipment, too, because I saw your uh, indoor golf academy. You kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, and you you've taken over the full garage. Is there? Any yeah, I, I'm very, very fortunate. Once I moved up here, I I, I met uh an incredible woman uh, that actually grew up in Italy, uh, but uh, um, uh, running a business here in town. And she uh, she let me uh, when we built this house, we built it a little bit with that in mind. Um, and that's why I went with 13 foot ceilings and, and the like. It really evolved over the years. And uh, about three years ago, I finally was having too many lessons and uh uh, trying to clean up that part of the garage that she was parking in still. It's, uh, you know, it, you, get, you get really good at cleaning garages quickly, like shoveling snow into the garage so that it would pick up the dirt to get out of the garage. <laughs> uh, and then uh, she finally said, you know, if you start my car, if you do whatever, I'll, I'll, you could take over the whole of the space. So that's... Wow. Uh, Any... Uh- any errant shots that ever hit her car? Or? Uh, none that hit the cars. Uh, none from me, but of course I do uh, do lessons with with students of many different levels. And uh, yes, there are uh, imprinted dimples on parts of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's bound to happen. That's though. part of the character of it all. Yeah. That's right. No. I very much enjoy teaching, uh, even though I, I would classify myself uh, more of a classic golf professional in in the in the sense that uh, as much as as much as I love teaching, I and I, I believe if you're going to do it well, you do you learn as much as you can. And they've they've uh, learned so much about the golf game and uh, what what happens with a with a club ball interaction and, and the like and what causes it to do different things with the electronics that are out there right now. Uh, and as well, I've I've picked up a couple other things. So I got uh, hack motion uh, wrist monitor uh, that that uh, does either wrist in uh, 3D motion. And uh, I have uh, pressure mat uh, in the garage as well that tells me exactly what's uh, what your feet are doing with the ground, uh, how it's interacting. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And then, of course, all the rest of the electronics in in there. But it's I teach most of my lessons in the off season, uh, because being, uh, being the director of golf head golf professional takes up a lot of my time in, in, in the summertime, uh, to be able to teach on top, but it's, uh, yeah, classic golf professional is, is, you know, making sure everyone is, uh, having a great time at the golf course, but, uh, expert in teaching expert in, uh, club repair as certainly, 
a, the discipline of selling merchandise out of the shop is, is, is uh, in the whole scheme of things, somewhat new. Uh, but uh, I've witnessed that from, you know, hard collar shirts with, uh, with pockets in them. So you put your cigarettes in, in your front chest pocket um, uh, to, uh, uh, I think the biggest explosion probably came when Freddie Couples came along with Bashworth and, and everyone really started pushing pushing uh, clothing. Uh, but uh, doing that, uh, yeah, uh, club repair and running running events and, and the like, but it's uh, trying to bring kids along. Well, maybe, uh, you know, as we're kind of in, into this now and exactly what uh, what you do, how have you seen the profession change and maybe where do you see it going? It's That is a really difficult question. And I, I, I know that we are in the midst or the start of a change in our profession, in my opinion, and, and not, I wouldn't say just my opinion because there's, uh, there's been articles written about uh, the crisis, uh, the so-called crisis as a golf professional and, and uh, uh, other podcasts on, on that sort of thing and, and the positiveness, but the, uh, the change of it all. It's uh, uh, when I got into the business, you basically lived at the golf course. I, I know um Though when I was there, no one actually did. But at St. George's, above above the bag storage was a two-bedroom apartment uh, right on property. And that's where the assistants usually stayed is right on property. You were you were on duty 24-7. So by the time I came along, you know, I, I remember at a Highland uh, and again, high service level, but uh, to take a day off, me or the uh, the, uh, the assistant would work an all dayer, so that the other one could take a day off, and then you vice versa. So it's uh, it was it was a tough thing, and I think what we're looking at right now is new generations coming in, and and quite frankly, rightly so, is looking. You'll never get in any profession a work-life balance, but a, a work-life symmetry uh, in, in uh, okay, well, I don't want to work 80 hours a week anymore. And, and uh, uh, how does this profession look if, if we start gearing things back to 40-hour uh, to weeks or 50-hour weeks? It's, it's tough. Even when we were working 80-hour weeks, um, it would get frustrating uh uh, to hear at times, oh, I, I haven't seen you around the club in a while. And it's like, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, and I, I get it. Like the, the club, uh, like here at, uh, in Thunder Bay, uh, our club is open 110 hours a week. And so it's, uh, so if I'm in there 40 hours a week, that's, that's, that's a lot of time that, that I'm not there. It's, uh, I've, I've heard of, um, many a club going to, um, a director of golf and head golf professional, uh, uh it's sort of, formula so that you can cover off more hours uh in and doing things but it's it's um it's tough having said all, all that 
Uh, would I have chose a different profession? No, like I love every minute of what I do. And and I've been so many places and met so many cool people. And and uh, I, I, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next even 10 years as as the newer generation is, are those that are coming on and, and being our our assistants and, and moving up into head professional positions. It's uh, the, uh, of course, uh, and again, rightly so in a lot of ways, they're uh, they should get uh, to have a life too and, and uh, bring their kids to soccer practice and do different things and not just be at the golf course who needs soccer practice when you got golf practice take your well, kids there. I, I, exactly <laughs> i you know i got i have an 11 year old and he's uh mateo and he's he's awesome i i moved up here and i did it i i did it all over again so i got uh i got married uh when i got up here i i have uh, like i said an 11 year old he uh but i encourage him to play tons of different sport and uh he's uh he loves soccer and and uh basketball and and uh what you name it he's he's doing it when i'm not in the garage he's using that for every other sport and golf <laughs> it's like and it's and it's awesome uh, but you want that roundness to it uh, you want you want kids to play many different things uh here actually there's i'm sure you guys have similar somewhere but uh there's one of the municipal golf courses uh at chapels they do um foot golf uh once a once a week which is which is pretty cool mm-hmm I don't know if we have foot golf here. I know what it is. I, I've, I've certainly, uh, yeah, I've, I've looked into this, but I've never, I was never good at soccer. Or I don't think I could kick a ball very far uh, or be very accurate with it. I'm not sure. But yeah, I don't know if we have uh, foot golf in the, in Winnipeg. I'm sure we do, but. Well, anytime we can uh, use an activity that someone might be comfortable with uh, and transition them to golf a little bit. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a foot, a first foot in in the door sort of. Thing. Right. You know? At what at one point Kingswood had their uh, whatever twelve inch or sixteen inch holes on their greens, uh, but that was more to uh, uh, you know bring in some lower caliber players uh, and and that sort of thing. I don't think there was any soccer balls being kicked around there as far as I know. We did that once last year at the club and it's like, don't ever do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to touch on a little bit too here of you being on both boards. We kind of mentioned it before you, the PGA of Manitoba, so the Professional Golfers Association of Manitoba, as well as the Golf Manitoba Board. So you must be pushing a lot of papers around. <laughs> well, that is actually one of the positive things to come out of COVID is uh, there was a time that board, uh, and rightly so, uh, would have been uh, in person. So many of the board members for both of those associations would have uh, mostly been uh, individuals from the Winnipeg area uh, because it was somewhat close. So uh, once with COVID, we everyone was going Zoom. The meetings were Zoom. So it's like, okay, well, I've, uh, I, I, I'm at a point in my career. I definitely want to uh, 
help and pass along some knowledge if I can. So initially, it, it started with the PGA of Manitoba. I was uh, lucky enough to, to get on their board. And within, literally within a month, um, I was uh, asked by someone that was on the board of Golf Manitoba if I would like to be on their board as well. And it's, uh, and the nice thing is, we both both associations are doing so much for golf within the community uh, within uh, Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario, um, and they mirror and support one another uh, along the way. Um, of course, Golf Manitoba, all their coaches and the like are all PGA. It's uh, it's um, it's it's really cool. And of course, Jared is part of the PGA uh, as as well. So having that connection between the two, and I love being on on the board uh, with both. Uh, the PGA, uh, of course, is is part of my DNA. Um, the going further, I I took over um, the awards chair position with the PGA. Um, I played a small part in it, but uh, with with a lot of help with uh, with Deb, uh, we've we've made some changes with the awards process. And uh, that's uh, just starting to roll out uh, actually this coming month. Then this last spring, um, actually, it would have been uh, uh, when James became president of uh, our association, and he told me what he did uh, because I did bug him about why, why, why everyone else has been on eighteen over par. Why have you not been on eighteen over par? <laughs> 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 you're not anybody until you're on 18 That's over five. Right? That's <laughs> we got our we got our sound bite there. <laughs> you're not anybody until you're on 18 over par. Yeah. The um the uh and I actually believe that, uh believe it or not. But it's uh the and I'm not saying this about myself, but um the uh I he put me in a position to to uh it, with someone stepping down from the position to take over the education chair as well so that uh uh that was uh that's pretty cool and i got some thoughts going on there to uh to change up we have incredible talent within our community um it's uh many uh many of the professionals within uh the manitoba zone uh, go on to win national awards. Uh, they, uh, we are lucky to have some absolutely fabulous professionals uh, within the zone. So it's, uh, um, it's, it's pretty cool. And I get to be in the awards chair, especially. I get to see a lot of that, uh, all the little stories uh, and uh, education. Well, use some of those stories. Use some of those talents. Uh, use uh, as Sandy is working with the life professionals and the and uh, retired professionals. Use some of their knowledges uh, and and help uh, bring all of us along. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I will stay on golf Manitoba as long as they'll keep me and, and hopefully take on a chair position somewhere down the way with them as well. It's in the end uh, it's, it's not a whole heck of a lot of work. It's, it's uh, 
a little bit behind the scenes, but uh, a meeting a month, that sort of thing to pass along uh, and uh, help golf within Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario. It's, it's be happy to do it. Can you mention anything that you're working on now? You don't want to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> uh, no, actually, right now, because uh, we're just uh, uh, starting July 1st, actually, is when we start taking uh, other uh, golf professionals could start uh, nominating other professionals uh, for for different awards. Uh, that award process has changed on a national level because it's uh, there's there's new definitions to certain class A professionals, uh, of course. Uh, we have professionals and uh, we, as reps, we have professionals uh, at like as company reps, we have professionals that uh, are from more administrative basis and, and those that are running uh, purely the golf end of things and uh, going back to a bringing people into the game or bringing uh, new assistants into the game, into the profession, they tend to love to gravitate towards the sexiness of the professional, which is teaching, uh, teaching, coaching. It's uh, uh, that uh, that's really in the forefront of, of many a young person because you see it on social media quite a bit. So that's uh, that's where we're at uh, going into July. Uh, little changes that way and keeping keeping the membership uh, up to date. But Fortunately, I get to do what I do over here, and and most of the work uh, gets plunked onto Deb's shoulders. So, <laughs> shout out to Deb. You listen to her episode oh, earlier this season. <laughs> plug, plug. Yeah, he wanted to get into thanking us, and I did, I wanted to give him the opportunity to thank <laughs> us. You know, I didn't want to cut him well, short I, there. I've changed. I've changed my mind now that I've been. On. <laughs> I, uh, I eat a little. That. You've seen behind the curtain. I, I need you to pump our tires. Uh. No, quite uh, quite honestly, um, being uh, being on the um, uh, peripheral of the zone, uh, I don't really have that same opportunity as others uh, to get to know people. Uh, that uh, that are on the boards that I I see names of that have done great different things. What you guys have done, and um, I've I would love to say I've listened to all seventy five of your episodes, but uh, but I have listened to at least a third of them, uh, which is yeah. which would probably put me up there. Yeah. But it's um, uh, right from right from the first uh, uh, first episode, first season with Sandy. What it, what your program has uh, done for me is to really get to know uh, those individuals. It uh, I liken it in some ways to uh, uh, going out and playing with those, which I don't have an opportunity to. But uh, going out and playing with those uh, for eighteen holes and uh, having a couple of drinks afterwards, shooting uh, shooting the shit. So it's like and having a good time and I'm the fly on the wall and, and listening to the conversation, but it's, uh, terribly entertaining. Uh, I, I really enjoy what you guys are doing and I get to know, uh, and, and feel like I know, uh, the people of, of the area. so, so much better. And it's, uh, and from that standpoint, as I get to know people that are from uh, the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario zone, and it's not just being on the board and the like, I'm 
I'm really proud to be part of these zones. There's uh, there's some incredible individuals uh, within the game, uh, and some of them I know. Uh, some of them I only get to know because of programs, uh, the, your program and you guys interviewing. It's like I, I enjoyed a couple of days listening to uh, go listening to the modern golf uh, episode. It's like, I didn't know that connection. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Weaving the web, but no, we, uh, we appreciate that and uh, maybe listen to the other two thirds and then, uh, we'll get you a hat or something. <laughs> well, it's a good, it's a good thing. I live, I, I live about 20 minutes away from work. So I get to, <laughs> I, I don't like radio. So I throw on the podcast and that's uh uh, anytime you guys throw it out there, I'm 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 putting it up. Especially especially if I see the names of uh, uh, of the people I know. Well, we appreciate that again. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a Certainly. wild ride. Yeah, we'll have to get you a hat or some stickers. I I've, I've uh, along the the number one Trans Canada Highway at the courses I was playing. I I gave a bunch of stickers to. The Rob and Josh and uh, everyone else, uh, Falcon, Kenora, Beauty Bay. So, um, yeah, you 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 got to get into doing like uh, no laying up and just taking that sticker and putting it on stuff all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting to that point <laughs> and people are doing it for us they even though funny oh, you mentioned that like, right. I mentioned Mike, I'm like i don't know i need some more stickers i don't know how i got through these so fast yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not going to admit to putting uh stickers on anything if anything is that hey i've handed these out and somebody may have put this uh here but uh if there's a, if you see a sticker on your way at a gas station, uh, I, I, it might have been me. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Well, if if I if I had a sticker that would find a prominent place on the back of my iPad while I'm teaching. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Well, I'll give you a few stickers we'll to, uh, Yeah. Well, shout out to <laughs> Bailey because we had Bailey on the first episode from Kenora originally from here, the daughter of uh, Dale and Kim Esapanko, and she's out in Kenora now, and I think you left her a few stickers, didn't you, Mike? Yeah, shamefully, all I had was stickers and ball markers to leave her, and and she was kind enough to comp my round and uh, half a cart. To, so it was nice to walk in there in front of all the, the boys and said, well, I'm uh, I'm." Uh, Mike from the 18 over par and uh, my my round is comped and then the, the guy behind the pro shop he's like I don't know what you're talking about and then I was I was sweating for a good few minutes there and then he looked and he he found the envelope behind but I'm not sure I would have looked uh, like even more of a fool if uh, if if that wasn't the case but yeah no very much appreciate it and uh, oh the course was great they had an RBC scramble teeing off just after us so hopefully we didn't hold that up too much <laughs> well if you guys make it all the way to Thunder Bay and you come out to Whitewater we will roll out the red carpet right. for you Ooh. everyone will know Sold. who you are before you walk yeah. in the shop <laughs> stickers on every line <laughs> oh wow well uh, this has been a slice so far and now it gets even better I'm sure you are familiar with the back nine lightning round and it is for Bryce Malachowski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446.
I don't have we given him stickers yet? I should probably just go drop some off in his mailbox. With Bryce, yeah. yeah. I don't think so. I actually saw Bryce in the flesh uh, oh, a few weeks no ago. Yeah, a rare Bryce yeah. sighting, but uh, <laughs> I did see him and uh, uh, he said we should, he'll have us out to the uh, the club there. But, oh, that'd be um, wonderful. I didn't, I didn't have any stickers on me at the time. Um, but uh, I actually did play at Glendale in a tournament too, and I handed out a bunch of stickers there. <laughs> we tried the, the Glen Blonde. Um, I had the Glen Blonde, and I met the Brazen Hall guy because he was on one of the holes. And I think they they brew uh, the beer for Glendale, so they do the Glen Blonde. So I gave him a sticker. Uh, I think his name is Stefan, uh, but uh, he wants to uh, he wants to hook up too. So we'll have to uh, get some Brazen Hall beers on the show and and taste test them like we did back in the day. Oh yeah, we'll just white label them and put our oh. sticker on them. We'll get some 18 over par beers going. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Matt, is it Matt or Matthew? Sure. You you got a, did you have a nickname? Well, when I was in Southern Ontario, all the, um, uh, all of us, you you had E on the end of it. So it was Maddie down there. Uh, Up here, I I married into an Italian clan. It's uh, uh, my, my youngest, my son is Matteo, which is the Italian version of, uh, of my name. Uh, He's uh, Matteo Piccolo. I am Matteo Grande. (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good yeah that's awesome do you have that on your uh your bag embroidered mateo grande no uh sounds like a starbucks drink (laughs) (laughs) yeah but a grande is the medium how does that go i'm not sure i to be honest i'm not a well versed in the in the Starbucks uh, ordering process, and yeah. and now I just say, you know what? Give me a large. Give me a large. <laughs> I don't want a large Farva. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Well, have you ever have you ever got a hole in one? I um, I have. I I have three legitimate ones, and uh, one sort of, and one fun that's uh they all have stories to them i don't know if you want to hear the stories or not but it's um uh the first one i um i, I was playing by myself drained a six iron uh on at idlewell the la- one of the last rounds i ever had at idlewell uh and it was a gorgeous shot uh to, to a back left pin and i just went huh and went <laughs> went on the uh the second i uh came off a double bogey and uh, on my first hole and stepped up to the second drained it for hole in one back to even fire wow in a in a tournament um uh same members event a couple of years on uh there at highland there's uh parallel par threes the second and the uh Twelve hole, um, and uh, we as we were walking up to the twelfth 
par three. Uh, my boss, Mike Silver, was uh, playing with the club champion and they started yelling. And it's like, what happened? And it's like, Rob just got a hole in one. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, and I, I, I looked at the guys that I'm playing with and it's like, ah, I'll have one here too. And I drained it. <laughs> Called it. That's awesome. So uh, uh, did it uh, did it again um, on that same hole uh, with a with a play with the pro program uh, that was a lot of fun and um, uh, the last one that really isn't uh, a hole in one was in one of the charity events here at the club. Uh, they had me set up on a par three and uh, the uh, they were paying for shots. One group came up paid for two shots. So I hit the first one two inches from the cup. And it's like, I said, guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Go hit your putt and be done with it. And it's like, no, we paid for two shots. So it's like, so I set up and I hit it in a next one in the hole. Now, the most amazing thing, I don't think I was ever that consistent two shots in a row. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Never, never. But it's, uh, um, they they looked at me and said, what are, what are we supposed to do now? And it's like, go get the ball out of the hole, Mark, one, and go to the next tee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they won the tournament, but. Uh... Uh, no. <laughs> Does uh oh this came up? Does a hole in one on a par three course count like a I don't know like a crescent drive? I'm sure. I'm sure it does. It depends. I guess. Why not? But, yeah, I don't know. Some people argue that it's it's not a uh, like a real course. I don't know. Oh, any anytime you're stepping out on a golf course uh, and you have that shot, celebrate it, enjoy it, know it, send it on to Golf Manitoba. They'll post it up on social media. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I will do that. I will do that. Uh, even if it is a, a maybe a mini putt hole in one, I'm gonna I'm gonna email Jared over there and say, hey, I want my picture. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I could just see Jared looking at Amy and saying, "Yep, Mike got another hole in one." <laughs> <laughs> um, we we did get into this earlier. However, I don't think you're playing Featheries or uh, I can't even remember the other name the Gertrudes. But uh, what is your uh, pre- preferred golf ball brand or model now i uh right now i'm playing the callaway uh chrome soft just a regular oh. chrome soft yeah are you a, a callaway man i i play all callaway equipment right now yes yeah uh, tyler's looked after me yeah mm. that's good <laughs> he's looking after someone <laughs> <laughs> No, we no. gotta get we gotta get Tyler on. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, he'll have some good stories. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna expand this question, um, as it's typically focused to Manitoba, but you being from uh, oh, North, I'm I'm ready, Northwest Ontario there. But I'm just gonna call NWO. Perfect. Uh, what is your favorite course to play in, in Manitoba slash NWO? Well, um, beyond Whitewater, um, I, not that I've played a lot of golf courses in this area, uh, but I have to say I have 
uh, played Glendale probably six times now. I, it's a fabulous members golf course, uh, uh, always in good condition. And uh, uh, James uh, just does an absolutely fabulous job over there. And it continues to get better with uh, individuals like uh, like Derek as the head professional. And now they got Sandy on in there. He, he's he's uh, building it up. It's it's I enjoy that place. The dream team over there. Yeah. Um. What would be your bucket list course in Manitoba slash NWO that you've never played but like to get out to? There, because I haven't played a lot, there's quite a few. But uh, if if any of them jump off uh, as that is exactly what I would like to try next, uh, I I would uh, I would say uh, Southwood. It's like I um, and the reason being is uh, it's it's another McBroom golf course, uh, but McBroom in uh, uh, open link style um, uh, to uh, to to enjoy that. It's um, the only thing that's lacking is it's too bad uh, the wind didn't blow in Winnipeg. It, it would be a really enjoyable place if the if it was the windy place. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Mike and I have both felt that out uh, out at Southwood. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but I don't mind the wind. I don't no, mind the wind. I like it. The worse the weather, now I like playing it because most people don't like playing it, especially if I'm playing a match. I'm like, great, it's a shitty yes. day out there. Let's go. <laughs> Got to go with the right attitude. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, and then just looking at the Northwest Ontario region of the Gulf Manitoba Club Directory. There's uh, one, two, three, four, five. There's like over 15 different courses out there. That is uh, a part of yeah, that. Yeah, we we have a decent amount. Uh, there's um, 11 golf courses in Thunder Bay. It's uh, or area. Uh, only uh, four of them being uh, 18 holes. Most of them are uh, nine hole tracks. Um, the uh, we. We have, again, a fabulous golf course, but there's uh, uh, Fort William uh, Country Club is celebrating uh, this year their 100th anniversary. Um, and it's uh, it's a nice, really nice golf course right up against uh, um, what we call mountains uh, out, uh, out this way. Uh, the um, uh, And then uh, the... Uh, Two city golf courses or 18s as well, uh, but no, it's it's nice golf, uh, nice golf. I out of northwestern Ontario, I think uh, I think the course I would really like to try is the one you uh, you were already talking about, and that uh, I would love to to get into the Kenora area and and uh, take the time and 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 play there. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty special. Something different, something that I've never experienced as far as, um, you know, the elevation changes up and down and, and people had warned me that there's a lot of blind shots, which to me, it thought that I would have to put the driver away. Uh, but it was more so blind shots in that you're shooting up a hill, but that hill goes down and the green is on the other side of that hill. So it's oh, like, cool. you don't really know if you haven't played it, I pulled out my phone a lot to be like, okay, this hole goes this way. This hole goes that way. It wasn't too bad as far as like 
dog leg this way, that way. I still played my driver almost every hole, whether that was a smart idea, I'm not sure, but, uh, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. It was very smoky that day. Unfortunately, we're, uh, feel, we're smelling the smoke here. I don't know how it is in Winnipeg, but we are smelling it here and we're you know, hundreds of kilometers away from it. So mm-hmm. yeah. but, uh, it's not too bad in Winnipeg. It was pretty bad at the beginning of summer. Not so yeah. bad now. Uh, but Kenora, I think as well as celebrating their hundredth anniversary. All right. I think I yeah. saw that. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. Um, oh, back to my other questions here. Uh, I guess what would be your most memorable course that you've ever played? Um, uh, the one I love playing the most was St. George's. Uh, but, um, uh, beyond that, um, it, uh, I would say probably when I got a chance to play Lake Nona in, in, uh, Orlando, uh, Lake Nona, um, a lot of the tour players uh, played out of out of that golf course. Um, the uh, Annika played out of that golf course, still does. I think uh, she was, uh, she ran an academy, her and her sister out of there. Uh, David Ledbetter as well. But uh, what was probably uh, the most memorable of that was not necessarily the golf, but you walk into the pro shop and when I was there, uh, U.S. Open Trophy was there uh, in, in their trophy cabinet, uh, Ernie Els being a member there. Um, so that was really cool. But then they had uh, a little styrofoam cup uh, with with little paper handles right beside it that a uh, little members challenge or whatever that uh, I thought the, the combination was pretty cool. Uh, and then you go down in the locker room and, and you see the names of individuals that are uh, that have uh, have lockers there and course uh there was uh i remember there being one cheek uh, uh on uh on on a label there so it was wow. uh, it was pretty cool uh, from that standpoint yeah. i haven't i've never met a sheik neither have i no <laughs> jr uh, not that i no. know of <laughs> okay well one day one yeah, day we'll get time. it yep still time um you got a bucket list course Anywhere in the world that you want to get out to? Um, there, I, and I'm I'm shocked that you didn't say don't say Augusta National. It's uh, it's <laughs> I. There was a time that I would have said Augusta in a heartbeat, and I would love to play there still. But it's not. Uh, I think the perfection of it takes it a little bit away from me. Uh, even though it it's part of the joy of it, but also. Uh, uh, out of all the courses that I know of and heard of and whatever, uh, I would like to play Cruden Bay in uh, north uh, northeastern Scotland. It, uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, it's supposed to be an incredible Lynx experience uh, and, and the sight lines going on forever. So that would be I something. believe I've. I believe I've heard of it. Yeah, I mean that. I'm sure the. I was trying to give you guys a course that you never would have heard in the 75 episodes. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not like that boring answer of Augusta. Oh, I want to play Augusta. Uh, and then, uh, uh, of course, if if I mention St. Andrews, uh, I forget which one of you has played St. Andrews, and you kick into the story about playing St. Andrews. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've retired that story, though I do see a picture. I see a picture of the Swillican Bridge behind you. So, absolutely. How, why haven't you played St. Andrews yet? Why I haven't. Gone- uh, I've been to your. Europe. I've only been to uh, Italy. I um, there will come a time uh, uh, further in in my life uh, that uh, because my wife is from Italy, there is a family home in Italy. So once uh, once we start to spend more time there, uh, it's it's pretty inexpensive to start flying around uh, Europe. And uh, mm-hmm. I uh, it is um, it is a dream of mine to play much golf in around the British Isles, uh, and including Ireland. Uh, but I would, I would rather take the time and do many, uh, many, uh, golf courses as compared to feel like, Oh, I got to fit everything into seven days or, and and that sort of stuff, but there'll come a time. Certainly. Yeah. And you can golf in, I'm sure they got some nice golf in Italy too. Uh, yes, maybe. Absolutely. Um, what would be your career low round and where? Well, you remember my thought from before. I, I am a golf professional, but it's uh, uh, but having said that, I, uh, you know, nothing terribly low. I think uh, um, I've, I've been 67 uh, with uh, with some other professionals and lost all ways. It's like um, I um, and I've uh, I've uh, a few times shot around even par and won uh, 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 different uh, different small events. So it's it really depends on the day and the light. But it's uh, yeah, officially I'd say sixty seven. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, my uh, my wild card here, I, I didn't have one coming in. I had a few actually, but. Uh, I see. I, I did spot that that you were you were sipping on a dram, and it was yes a dram. Uh, of, I, I, of, I, yeah, I should have cheered you guys. Uh, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I still got my my empty there. Hey, there you go. I'm back on the uh, herbal tea. That's that's uh, <laughs> the Harambe hangover. The Harambe hangover. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, I, I yeah. What, so, what do you put in your dram? Well, I I I like to go right across the board with with many different types of whiskeys, not just Scotch. But uh, I like the Irish whiskey, and I like uh, um, uh, I like some of the stuff over here in in uh, uh, the bourbons and and the like. Uh, this particular one is sort of a go to that I I keep in the in the cupboard it's called monkey's shoulder it's uh it if you haven't had it before it's it's actually it's a blended scotch and it's uh it uh rates really high and uh for those of us here in ontario i think it's less than 60 bucks a bottle so that's that's not bad i know you guys pay less there in manitoba do you drink it i don't oh yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. The the only time I ever put anything into scotch is if I buy a bottle and I don't care for it too much, I would make uh, make some incredible old fashions. It's like I, I, I enjoy nice. my old fashions. Yeah. Mm. Monkey shoulder. Yeah. Blended Monkey malt scotch. shoulder. Yeah. I will have to look that up. It looks like it retails for $60 at the LCBO. Uh, I always thought that we paid more for our alcohol or at least beer than Ontario does. I, um, I don't know. A, a, a tall can, a tall can at the store costs us uh, about four bucks here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That could be uh, about the same. Tough to say with all these uh, local beers and how much those are going for mm-hmm. these days and yeah, but that's part of the the joy of it all. You guys got some great breweries there in 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 uh, Winnipeg, and and we do as well here. It's uh, that's true. I I love tasting all the different stuff that's out there. Yeah, yeah. You guys got Lake of the Woods Brewing out there. I saw that. Well, that was, yeah. The, so Lake that's of obviously the, Woods, the big one. Yeah, the um, uh, Sleeping Giant is a. Okay. Fabulous beer. Um, at uh, they um, they make a couple that uh, that do really well at the club, but uh, and do really well for my taste buds. <laughs> the um, most important good. thing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to try it out. Um, speaking of taste buds, uh, what would be your favorite condiment? Oh, we're to the ninth question. Now. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, I didn't. Hopefully, I didn't skip any because sometimes I do. <laughs> no, the um, uh, definitely a smoky barbecue sauce. Mm. Not uh, not too hot, but a nice smoky. I'll I'll put that on uh, pretty much everything. It's uh, I I think of uh, most. Most dinner tables, like I have it out on the table, uh, uh, whether it's chicken or beef or, or what have you, and and uh, uh, put it even on the hot dog. It's, it's, oh, yeah. yeah. More barbecue mm-hmm. sauce on the hot dog. I like yeah. that. Like, a, a, what's a classic one there? Bullseye. That's a classic. Oh, yeah. Smoky yeah, nice. barbecue sauce. Yeah, their their original is good, but uh, I like their Guinness one as well. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, nothing nothing high end. It's just no. <laughs> if it works, it works. Why does it have to be I, high I, end? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, I, I am not going for the Dijon of uh, barbecue sauces. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we know what uh, what to get you as a treat, aside from uh, an eight over par hat and maybe a few thousand stickers. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't don't put your don't put any barbecue sauce on your pasta though, because uh, you might get in some trouble. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, we. I they looked at me uh, strange actually because um, uh, Sundays is pasta and meatballs, but you have the pasta. And then you have the meatballs. You don't have the meatballs on the pasta, uh, but I, I've, I've, I've uh, changed that a little bit. Well, that's good. The lesson. Yeah, good to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate that. 
Well, uh, that wraps up the uh, Back Nine Lightning Round and is for uh, Bryce Malachewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. We also have all of his information in our link tree. Just go to our social media pages or page, MySpace, whatever, and just click on our bio. We'll be there. But this has been mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, going back into the history books, incredible. I'm sure we probably could have done another two hours chatting with you. Uh, we'll have to get you back on maybe in season six, something like that, seeing as yeah. season three now and uh, just, just get back into it. But we really appreciate you taking the time. We look forward to heading out there in the freezer truck tour and playing some great golf in Northwest Ontario. Some more great golf in Northwest Ontario. Absolutely. This, this was a blast guys. I, I, I feel an honor to be on the 18 and over par uh, <laughs> podcast. Well, there, now you are, you did it. You can check that one off the bucket list. So uh, we appreciate you coming on again and uh, we will chat with you next time. Perfect. Thanks, Matt. And you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot.